1: The Andy J podcast The Andy J podcast The Andy J podcast Hello you how are you doing welcome to episode 108 of the Andy J podcast I know I've been doing this for a while now, but it still takes me a little bit of time to just think about all the conversations we've had. Anyway, this one's pretty cool. I'm really happy to be able to tell you that today's guest, you probably know this already because you've clicked on the episode, is Mr Matt Tebbutt. He of Saturday Kitchen fame, although he's hosted way more than just that. He's a man that's been on our screens for a decent chunk of time now, and he's done his fair share of very interesting, fascinating television. I mean, he's hung out in the jungle to see what jungle life is like. He's cooked all over the world. He has told us about the advantages and the challenges of going vegan and veggie and so on. And of course, he's always doing other things like saving money for good food and food unwrapped and so on and so forth. He is a chef who has had the most fascinating inductions working under Marco Pierre White. And then of course, television came calling But Matt has had a fascinating life before, during and including the TV stuff. And he's a guy that I was really, really pleased to be able to chat to. I didn't realise just how much was going on in his world away from the kitchen and away from the TV. So I found this conversation utterly fascinating. Obviously, I realised when I started researching him, you know, but only once we got chatting properly did I realise all these crazy fun things that he's done. He's quite the adrenaline junkie as you're about to discover. So look, all I'm going to say is thank you very much for choosing us for your audio companion for today. Really appreciate it. I sincerely hope you're doing your thing to spread the word about the show and tell a few of your mates if you're enjoying it. And please sit back, relax, or if you're walking or driving, don't do either of those things. Just focus on the road or the walk, but enjoy this chat with Matt Tebbutt. Have a great day. J podcast. My next guest has excelled in his chosen career before becoming a terrific TV host. He's one of those really irritating people that's good at more than one thing. Now, he started his career as a chef working under Marco Pierre White and has since been on our screens cooking around the world, hanging out in jungles. And now he's famous as well as one of many shows he hosts. It's the brilliant Saturday Kitchen. I am very pleased to welcome Mr. Matt Tebbett. How are you doing, Matt?
0: That's, that's quite a build-up. Thank you very much for that. I like the, uh, the irritatingly good more than one thing it's, which uh, I don't believe because <laughs> I'm always I'm always sort of quite in awe of people like that who can just flip from one career to another and it's seamless I so, call it the uh, so Gary Lineker nice.
1: it's the Gary Lineker <laughs> effect Matt you know he's he, <laughs> unbelievable striker then an unbelievable TV show host it's not fair yeah. really
0: no, no irritating. Yes, you're right. <laughs> so you're in, the, you're in
1: that category, Matt. I'm sorry, but you've earned it. Well,
0: okay, I'll take that. I'm not going to argue with you, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, look, we've got loads to discuss and we're going to talk about breakfast in a moment. But I just, I quickly just feel the need to check in with you because, well, earlier this year, you had a bit, a, a bit of a health crisis.
0: Um, yes, yes, I did, actually. I had, uh, I had a burst appendix. Um, I had a horrible... Summer cake that came on on a Friday during rehearsals in in Saturday Kitchen. Um, I'd just eaten a scallop. I was nice. then thinking, questioning myself. About half an hour later, thinking, what's that scallop off? <laughs> Have I cooked it properly?" Um, and then it just continued. And then I did the show on Saturday, and you just kind of, you know, adrenaline takes over. Uh, and the Saturday afternoon, I did my. I went out for lunch. We had a big Chinese lunch with my friend Freddie Bird and Shivy Ramatar. And, and that sort of spiraled into Saturday night. So again, you know, you have a few drinks and you kind of push through and it was always kind of there in the background. And this thing just didn't leave me. And on, on the Monday, uh, I just couldn't get any sleep. So I I drove myself into hospital at about five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I sat there for about 12 hours before it burst and then, and then I had to, uh, then I was rushed in. So, um, so yeah, it was all, it was all kind of, um, it was all quite dull, and then quite dramatic, and then it all sort of took nasty turns. Anyway, they looked after me. NHS brilliant, as we all know, looked after me brilliantly, and uh, I was only in for a week, so um, so it was all good. And now I'm now I'm um, excelling in not having the bed.
1: <laughs> good, good, well done. Hey Matt, what was the drive like? Because we're both dads, I-, I don't know how well you can remember the drive to the hospital on the way to have the babies. But was the five AM drive when you're taking yourself off but in pain, it's your pain rather than your wife's on this occasion. Did it have that yeah. similar level of you know, or, or was well, it? Well
0: not not so much. You just I was just very aware. Um I was laying in bed and I was just very aware that A, I might have to suddenly rush up therefore I need a shower and I need to get into clean pants, quite frankly. <laughs> 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 so do you remember that thing where your mother used to say "Oh, well, make sure you've got clean pants case you <laughs> get hit by a car I was like, yes. that's the last thing on my mind anyway it was the first thing on my mind so, so I drove in uh, yeah but I, I remember that trip like you were saying I, I especially remember the trip out of hospital when you've got this, this small newborn thing in the back sort of in, the, in the child's seat and then you're just suddenly very aware of how fast you're going and bumps in the road and things like that um, yeah, I mean, I remember that very well. When you're looking after yourself, it's not quite the same, <laughs> I think. You could be a bit more reckless.
1: Yeah, it's a bit more business like. We're we'll just getting yeah. it done. Yeah. Clean exactly pants, together. we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look matt I'm, I'm excited that we've got some some quality time together so matt look we're going to have a deep dive into you and your life and your amazing career very shortly but but first we've got to talk about what i hope is everybody's favorite breakfast the full english because it has changed in our lifetimes we're similar in age and you have discovered that actually modern palates are tweaking the full english in in new and innovative
0: ways uh, absolutely, and not always for the better, I think. Okay. Um, but so, in my opinion, so this is research done for Milk and Moore's Breakfast Week, which is going on this week. And it's showing that people are dropping things like black pudding, um, tin tomatoes are being dropped tomatoes are becoming those little cherry shishi tomatoes now <clears throat> hash browns are taking uh, a center stage on the plate sixty four percent of people want hash browns now which i don't agree with um, and <clears throat> veggie sausages are on the rise so eleven percent are going for that people still want eggs they still want bacon um, and certain elements of it but it's changing people are swapping up black pudding for avocado and i just i, I don't agree that that has a place on a on a full English plate, quite <laughs> frankly,
1: I'm I'm hearing the irritation in your voice. We're going to go through this piece by piece. Now, <clears throat> firstly, I need I feel I need to stand up for hash browns. What's wrong with hash browns?
0: Okay, so you are the fourth person I've spoken to who disagrees with me about I'm really surprised by this because I just don't think they're necessary. I like you know if you if you want to sort of fill up a good piece of fried bread, it's delicious, but a hash brown, it's just like well, it just just feels too alien on a on an english breakfast plate i just associate hash browns with america okay
1: no no i I hear what you're saying but i'm one of these people matt that i i like if i'm going in for a full english i like to have a proper food baby by the end i mean i want to be massive you know what i mean i don't want any of this kind of like oh yeah i've had a light breakfast if i'm going big i'm going big and and hash browns tick that box you know as well as the fried bread that's what i'm talking about not instead of
0: no, you're not going to um, need anything till the evening on that one. I went to a vegan cafe recently for research purposes only.
1: Go <laughs> veggie go vegan, was, fair it was, enough. Yep. It, was, it was
0: very good. It was very good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But the startling thing was that there was some salad on my plate. And I thought, <laughs> well, there's, there's, this is no time for salad first thing in the morning. You know, I can understand that from, from maybe 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon, salad comes into play, but not before. So I was quite upset by that. <laughs> so so avocado on. is much like that. I don't want that on my uh, on my full English.
1: So what is what should it be, Matt? You know, you've you've got the last word on this. To be fair, yeah. so so what is? I, I'm coming round to your house, and you're saying right. I'm, I'm just inviting myself here, Matt. By the way, and I'm saying okay, okay. right. It, it, all I want is a full English prepared by you. What's on the plate?
0: Okay, so there's going to be black pudding, um, delicious, crispy black pudding. There's going to be. Crispy, streaky bacon must be streaky. There's going to be tomatoes, which are cooked face down with a bit of salt and butter. So you create all the juices from the tomatoes. There's going to be fried bread, and it has to be white bread, not wholemeal. That would just be wrong. Okay. Um, what else? There's going to be beans. There's going to be brown sauce, sausages. Have I missed anything else out? Toma- uh, mushrooms, obviously. Good.
1: I was mushrooms. hoping there'd be some mushrooms. They
0: um yeah, and then I've pretty much run out of plate. So that <laughs> that will be it, really. Okay, I mean, no, you can no, have toast on good. the side if you like. A- a toast, and, toast and marmalade. You, actually, you have to have marmalade and you have to have marmite as well.
1: And how are you making my tea? I'm, I haven't given you any specifics. You just said, i got a, I got a cup of tea for you here. How, how I'm going to make
0: it. it it's going to be strong, Yep. Uh, really, really dark, um, proper builder's tea in a mug that's chipped.
1: yes i'm with you on the mug what does builders mean to you because i've heard different interpretations some say two sugars some say one where are you at
0: oh i don't i don't go for sugar um that's not builder's tea then is it builders is milk with Uh, with their sugar is it okay okay not builder's tea then no just just a really good strong cup of tea in a like i said in a battered mug
1: (laughs) (laughs) Has the mug? Has the mug got one of your shows on it, Matt? In which case, which one? Because we, I mean, it's one of the great things about being a broadcaster—you get all these free mugs with logos on.
0: Do you know what? I don't. I'm. I don't have any mugs with oh. the show name on, and I'm very upset by that because I go to. Uh, you know, you pop up on other shows, and they've all got their own mugs, and I don't. Maybe, maybe I should just have one. That always act quite self-indulgent <laughs> if you can create a mug for yourself with the show name. No name on it yeah maybe maybe i should just shut
1: up (laughs) people guests come to your house and they're like oh where can i get one of these no no i had them made
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a proper alan partry thing to do i won't be doing that so let's let's scrub that idea
1: (laughs) your your long-standing friends need evidence that you've changed from fame (laughs) there it is There it is. So, I mean, look, that's that's the last word on the breakfast, Matt. I mean, basically, you're at war with the modern trends of things like avocados. You're not. You're just not happy with that.
0: I'm just. I mean, there's there's a place for them on maybe a brunch table. Uh, I like an avocado. Don't get me wrong. I just think we do so many products so well in this country. You know, mushroom. Let's talk about mushrooms. We grow brilliant mushrooms. They grow all year round. They're sustainable. Um, they're they're pretty much sort of local to to a lot of areas. So we should be kind of eating more of those rather than the avocados that have flown in across the world. I mean, you know, the eco credentials uh, people are much more aware of now. And part of the research that came out is that people care about the fact that things are delivered in electric trucks. They're delivered in sort of you know, less packaging and plastic material, because I think we're all aware of that during the pandemic when we were buying food in from, you know, <clears throat> food boxes and things like that we were trying out. There was an awful lot of plastic in this. Yeah. But then as as it progressed, um, that became less so, which is a really good thing. So people are much more aware of, of sustainability and the eco-credentials as well as, you know, how delicious their food is.
1: Yes, and obviously there's a lot more awareness on the health of certain foods as well now. You know, people people are much more aware of how much salt and how much sugar is in certain things and so on, which is only a good thing. We're more educated about what we're putting into our bodies. But yeah, as yeah. a as a foodie yourself, and by the way, I feel like you've been quite harsh. You're like the Simon Cowell of food judging this morning. Which is,
0: uh, really,
1: really impressed by just how stern you're being on some of these ingredients. But how many, how many full Englishes a week is too many?
0: Um, seven, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> seven is too yeah. many. So six think, is okay. Uh, I think maybe. Well, the telling is, is it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, breakfast is, is one thing where you can grab something on the go. Um, and I think during the week, that's, <clears throat> that's probably what most people go for. The weekends. Maybe after a heavy Saturday night, Sunday morning is a great time for a fry-up. Although you've got Sunday lunch, haven't you? So maybe, maybe it's a Saturday thing. So maybe two on a weekend, you know, Saturday, Sunday. I think that's probably where we should keep that. Is Is it, I mean, I'm
1: sensing this. Is it, is it connected to hangovers?
0: It's quite connected. They're quite. They're I mean, I mean, in your house, I
1: don't. I don't mean for the general public.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're often in step with each other. Um, I mean, you know, we, we touched on it earlier. I, I, I'm very privileged to go off and do Saturday show, Saturday kitchen, and then. I mean, we generally finish around sort of twelve one o'clock in the studio. We end up in the pub with a crew. I mean, that's that's fortunate. Just coming back now that the plague is is slowly lifting and we can get back to normal. But so, so most of the time we, we go to the pub, we have a few drinks um and it's it's kind of a big social life for us as well, for all the crew and for me. so we'll have a few drinks, I then have to disappear and get a train back to back to Wales very often, I'll then drop my bag, I'll go and meet my wife' and, and son or my daughter's back at home we'll we'll go off to the pub and have a few, and then we have a kitchen disco, like you do um next thing you know um it's you know two o'clock in the morning and it's time to go to bed and so therefore Sunday you wake up and you're feeling a little bit shabby um I mean that's the truth of it I could dress that up and say you know I go for a run at first thing Sunday morning but I really don't
1: <laughs> how lovely and how refreshing you're not
0: you're not here telling <laughs> me about
1: the meditating and your yoga and all the mindfulness you applied no, before and after the show
0: there's, <laughs> no there's 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 none of that there's um yeah, I mean, people often say, you know, you know how do you get into the sort of the, the mindset of a show? I mean, you just have a laugh, and you just go and have a few coffees to wake yourself up. You have you're comfortable with the crew because you know them so well, uh, and they're they're essentially friends. Uh, well, they are essentially that's a terrible word. They are friends. Um, so so you're just at ease automatically. But there's no kind of zen like meditation that goes on before or after absolutely not that's that's for other people (laughs) but that's but
1: this is the you now though Matt you know this is the you that's that's got many thousands of hours under your belt you know you're you're good at this you've done this you've got this there must have been a you coming into live television not as the guest anymore but as the host as the man whose name is on the box office as it were there must have been a you that wasn't just kind of rocking up like oh yeah let's just have a laugh there must have been a scared Matt
0: um, was, yeah, there was absolutely terrified, man. There was, um, yeah, I remember being asked sort of months in advance, can you do this date? And obviously you go, yes. And then from that point on, oh, you just worry about it. And I remember that very, very clearly. And then that just builds and builds as the time goes on. And then, you know, you listen to that music, the theme tune. Um, on a Saturday and that's kind of a I think they call it triggering don't they now <laughs> so that would trigger a response you go oh my god and you you start to sort of panic even more but you know the more you do it that sort of you know wanes um, you still there's still a lot of adrenaline involved you still get I don't like hanging around on set beforehand for like you know you, you talk to the director you go how long and they go two minutes it's like that feels like an eternity I'd rather walk straight in from outside straight onto the floor and say hello <clears throat> because I just don't like that build up and that hanging around and I'd much rather have a laugh and chat to people on set and then immediately get into it because you're, you're so focused on it but then other people work in different ways some people want that time to kind of focus but that's never really been me.
1: <laughs> yes, it's it, it, it's it's a different approach. Cool. There are some people that will, will have that quiet, that will be running those opening lines, because there's a lot of, I mean, I've hosted a lot of live telly as well, and, and people often say, you know, what's it really like? And I always say, once you're three words in, you're fine. But it's those first three words. Until you've got the first three words out, you don't actually know.
0: It's, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, if you mess the opening link up, which obviously I have, um, that kind of puts you on a back foot. So if you can get through that um, and you can then, you then start to relax. I mean, it's interesting Well, for all the guests we have on, the ones I'm most nervous about having on are people like interviewers or news readers really? and people like that because they are so in tune with what they do. You feel suddenly they're looking at you and go, who is this amateur in front <laughs> of me? So, I mean, when you're dealing with pop stars and uh, authors and things like that, it's slightly different because they're not they're not totally into what you're doing right now. They're just waiting for their life. But you, I remember years ago on a different show, I, I interviewed Michael Parkinson. I was terrified. Oh. And then on Saturday Kitchen, we had um, Trevor McDonald, and again, it was like I was really worried about that. And that was that was quite surprising, actually. But then you think, well, you know. It's understandable because these guys are delivering lines with such precision um, and such clarity, and there you are stumbling over something <laughs> on a Saturday morning. It just doesn't look very slick.
1: They're not. They're not doing well cooking, though, are they? So there's you know well, a bit of a difference.
0: Well, there there is that. There is that. I suppose. But um, you know, you yeah, have to. No, it's, it's,
1: it's kind of the, it's the equivalent of a picturing the queen nude, isn't it? It's you just have to think to yourself. Well, they probably can't even do a good a good cup of tea.
0: You know that... <laughs> i I'll, I'll remember that next time yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah I'm going to come round to your house, not me personally to you, but you you as with... You know Trevor McDonald or whoever, get him to cook for you and see what his spag goals are. Like. You know, then then the roles are reversed. In fact, I'll
0: deliver those lines. Yeah, Do you know there is
1: there's a show format there, Matt? I'm not going to let you have it, obviously.
0: Because you, you could be in it though. <laughs> it's a very it's a very nice idea actually. Yeah, I think there was a Nigel Slate show many years ago called um, <clears throat> I think it was called Life on a Plate, um, where he he interviewed people and cooked their food. It was a lovely gentle show. So yeah, it'd be along those sort of lines. That maybe that's ripe for revival.
1: Yeah, but 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 it's flipped around. They're cooking for you. That's the that's the thing. That's (laughs) because that must be like you hating interviewing interviewers. I would hate to cook for a chef. I would hate that.
0: I guess so. I mean a lot of people say that and it's 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 surprising because chefs who are stepping out of their restaurants um for a night just to go and sit at a friend's house, don't want to be entertained. And they're not bothered about fancy plates of food and trying to be restaurant-style food. they would be quite happy with a shepherd's pie, a really nicely made shepherd's pie and a really good bottle of wine. It's just all about the conviviality and and the hospitality, really. And rather than... And very often you go to people's houses and they they try to, to elaborate in their own kitchens. And it's just... It's, it's impossible. And it's a hiding to nothing because kitchens have teams of people who are well-versed in what they're doing. So all the garnishes and things like that that make food look tricksy and, and incredible, uh, you know, there's, there's an army of people usually behind it. Um, so when the home cook tries to sort of recreate that, it's just, it always ends up bad, I think. And you just don't need to do that. Just keep it, keep it simple. Right? It's,
1: quite, it's quite flattering though, Matt, because they are doing it to try and impress you. you know, they, well, they do yeah, no, you're they're...
0: right. You're right, absolutely. But then people are then they don't want it. they don't want to invite you back because they're terrified of cooking for a chef. And he's like, "Well, no, I just quite like to get out, quite frankly." <laughs> so do you just have, just a, have a takeaway? You know?
1: Well, exactly. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Do you have a go-to reaction though, Matt? Like if you're over at someone's house, who's kind of a friend, you know, one of your wife's mates or whatever, and you're you're just kind of there, and they are there's this bit food being served up. Do you have a generic? Oh, that's terrific! Or oh, I haven't tasted I, something like this for ages. Or
0: I don't know, generic, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you you're not rude, that's for sure. Otherwise, that's going to end badly. Um, but no, I mean, just always very grateful. I think is the is the, the phrase really because people, it's the ultimate kind of you know somebody's time that they're putting into something, uh, and if they're you know spending an awful lot of time, hours pouring over things and thoughts, I mean, that's the ultimate. Present, isn't it? I mean, that's you know, people give birthday presents and because they order off Amazon or what have you and send it. I mean, there's there's no thought in that generally, but if somebody wants to take the time to cook for you and they're happy with what they do. I mean, that's that's fantastic. To so know, I mean, no, absolutely not rude. <laughs> no, no,
1: but you can't, you can't go too big because then they'll think you're going to give them a job. So it's this <laughs> <laughs> until all they make afterwards. I was once hosting a racing championship, which Paul Hollywood rate was racing in, and a friend okay. of mine, who's a bit of an amateur chef, found out about this and actually phoned me and said, "Can I, can I bring you some bread to give him?" And I'm like, "No,
0: no oh, my way, word, really? Can you
1: imagine? that's really
0: funny." You know, that's just, really funny. I, yes, I mean, accepting food from people that you don't know is quite a risk, maybe. (laughs) Um, I mean, people do, uh, and it's very sweet. Without sounding patronising, but it's not it's not what you ultimately want to see or try when you're in a field at a food festival or something like that. So um, yeah, I'd much rather have a conversation with somebody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Selfies are good. Bringing me your Tupperware, yeah. yeah. Maybe not. Let's let's pause on that, Matt. Look, we have so much to discuss, but but one thing I'm really curious to hear about because just in our sort of twenty minutes chatting so far, you 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 come across as so grounded, so kind of, if you don't mind me saying, so kind of every. which is refreshing because I do speak to a lot of celebrities with their elevated statuses and and things have changed for them. You know, they they have been affected by their jobs. How much has has kind of fame played a part in who you are and and how has fame changed you?
0: Um, That's very nice to hear. Thank you for that. Um, I don't think it's changed me at all, to be honest. I mean, I think people... I mean, this has been, you know, me getting here is not an overnight sensation by any stretch. I mean, this is years and years of of knocks and highs and lows and things like that. And I think, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's, it's a job, isn't it? It's a lovely job. It's probably the best job, I think, in the world, getting it to mess around on Saturday morning, meeting famous people, eating amazing food, and then showing off on telly. Um, but it's still a job and then you still go back to your family and they don't really care who you've been talking to uh, because there's other, there's other pressures in life that sort of come into play. Um, so for, you know, you're sort of wrapped up in your little world for a certain amount of time, an hour and a half on a Saturday morning or whatever it is. But then ultimately you go back to the real world and that doesn't really figure. And it's, I mean, as you know, I live in Wales, you turn up at the pub you talk to the local farmers who are in there, they don't give them monkeys. Um, they just, you know, you just need to be nice to people and be interested. I mean, that's the one thing I love about the show is that I'm, I'm generally interested in people and I love, I want to hear what they've got to say. <clears throat> um, so, so no, I don't think it's affected me in any way, really, at all. Apart, um, and apart I hope strangers bringing
1: you food in, in fields. Apart
0: from, yeah, apart from that, which is a bit odd. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and um, so, no, no, I, I, I just, you know, it's it's a job that you do and then you go home. Um, it's a bit like, it feels a bit like that to me.
1: Is that because you've had, because you've had so many fascinating shows building up to, and I know you're doing shows simultaneously with Saturday Kitchen as well. You know, we know that there's... I mean, actually, you're you're in quite a unique position, having worked for so many of the major broadcasters. You know, lots of people aren't allowed golden handcuffs deals and and whatnot. But you know, you're on Channel Five at the moment, as well as obviously BBC, ITV. You've you've done the Discovery series as well. So, do you think that the sort of one of the reasons why it hasn't changed you is because it has been this the, quite nice growth into into this into the big jobs? If you see what I mean, you you haven't kind of think- leapt into it.
0: No, I think I think that that might be right actually. And like I said, I mean, you know, this is, this is a long slow. If this was a graph, it would be a really slow, steady sort of rise. Um, I think that that helps. I think you have to remember how fickle um, the industry is. You know, you're one minute you're uh, you've got you know maybe you have got three shows on. Uh, next minute that gets cancelled. You get changed. I mean and it's just the nature of the business. So I think you always have to have that in the back of your mind really because things aren't forever and you know this will be somebody else's gig one day. Um so so that keeps you that keeps you grounded. I've always been quite pessimistic I suppose. You know you hope for the best, expect the worst. And then and then things are okay because you're expecting something to happen. So um yeah I think that that makes a big difference. I think very often you see people who have gone through those, those TV shows, those reality shows who have gone from, from you know, unknown to household name within about six weeks. And that can affect people. Yeah. Um, you meet people and you go, hang on a sec, you need to just remember that this ain't forever. And, uh, you know, you've, you've had a great start. Um, and I think the people, the people who sort of hang around the longest, it seems, people who want to work with you, you know if crew want to work with you if commissioners want to work with you if um you know directors everyone then you need to get on really so you can't be burning bridges everywhere you go (laughs) and TV can create monsters you know I'm there for you I'm not going to tell you who they are and they are they're astonishing um because there's this kind of well this self-importance and entitlement yeah So so that yeah that that can ruin people it, yeah. was,
1: it was one of the very first lessons that I was taught in my broadcasting career. It was by Nick Owen. Do you remember him? He used to host yes, I
0: do. Good Morning yeah. with
1: Anne and Nick, I think it was. Yeah. And I was recording at the Gas Street Studios, ITV Gas Street Studios in Birmingham. I was hosting right. Children's ITV and he was reading news. So same studios and our, our yeah. dressing, dressing rooms were next to each other. And so I got, yeah. to, got to know him in the opening weeks. And I can remember saying to him over coffee, I was like, Look, have you just got any advice? for? Because I was, I was new to all this. Have you got any advice for you know, how to kind of keep going because you've had such a long career and it's like, yeah, one very simple piece of advice. Be nice to everybody because you're on yeah. the way up now. Everyone comes yeah. down. He's like, look at me. I had this massive show and now I'm reading news and I love it. But I've yeah. only got this because I was nice to people and I've stayed in work. You know, when when the big show ended, he had other things to do. And it's like, big shows end. Yeah. Things change. And if you've so been right, a so-and-so exactly. to
0: people, there's no way you're getting work again. That's exactly it. And um, people, TV has this way of, you know, if you can be the most horrendous person in the world, and as long as you turn up on the screen and you turn it on for the camera and that's what people want to see, then they'll tolerate that. And as soon as that show goes, suddenly you're left with this awful person that nobody wants to tolerate anymore because there's no outlet for. Them. So, so that's when, you know, people drop off the screens is that, you know, generally that's the sort of thing that happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just not a bad way of living your life to being nice and smiling to people, is it? No, it's, <laughs> really. a, it's, it's,
1: it's the way we should all be all the time, regardless <laughs> of show business or, or not.
0: Hello, it's John Markar here from our sister podcast, The Driven Chat
1: Podcast. Right now, you're listening to The Andy J Podcast, and it's quite good, isn't it? In fact, do me a favour, give it a little review, five stars, and wherever you're listening, hit that little subscribe or follow button because it does help. See you around. Jay podcast. Um, Matt, One of the things I find really interesting about your progression into, into who you are now is that, and again, I'm sort of surmising from reading up on your background and so on, is that it feels to me like in your, the early part of your life, uh, particularly when you started to think about what to be professionally, it feels like you didn't quite know what you wanted to be to start with. Certainly, you didn't think
0: you were going to be a man on the telly. No, absolutely. I mean that that would just you know that just happened by chance. No, I wanted um, I wanted to go into the air force. I wanted well, I wanted to be an astronaut, obviously, because all kids do. Um, how's, how's your and eyesight? And
1: that's I was always it, told that the was eyes- the biggest decision maker. If you've got twenty twenty, you're all right. Otherwise, no chance.
0: Yeah, no, no. Well, The eyesight was all right. I'm now sat here in glasses, but so that's a, yeah, that was a long time ago. But um, so I was always wanted to fly planes, so I, I was going to join the air force. Um, So that was kind of the main focus. And then when I went to university, I had to do a degree to get into the Air Force at the time. So I did that. Then I joined this fantastic organization, which they're still running now, called the University Air Squadron, whereby they take, I think my year, they took about 30 people from three or four different universities. And they essentially, you're incorporated into RAF life. Um, And they give you flying suits. They teach you to fly. Um, they they give you lectures on a monday night you get subsidized beer it's taxpayers money the is <laughs> it was marvellous it was the best social club i met mean, i made so many good friends there who i'm still in touch with today but yeah so i so i was going into the air force but then i mean you say you know the eyesight was the hardest thing it's for me i mean i went and did an hours flying and i used to come back absolutely dripping in sweat and it mentally it's very very demanding because you're you're sort of 3D thinking, you're throwing these aircraft around the air, and it is fantastic fun, but it is really draining. So I used to go back and cook for my flatmates that I was sharing a house with. And that became more, it was like therapy, it was more relaxing, I enjoyed it, I've always been into food anyway. And at the time, this was kind of like the early mid-90s, London was changing at the food scene. Soho was kind of losing its sleeves, it was getting fantastic restaurants, so I used to go up to Ox- um, from Oxford to, to London. I used to visit a, a girlfriend there. We used to go out to restaurants, and then when you watch a restaurant in full swing, it's like going to the theatre. You see the waiters gliding in and out of each other. It's seamless. You you know the the adrenaline that's going on in the kitchen. They're yeah. creating this beautiful food from very harsh surroundings. And that became more exciting than than flying fast jets madly um, so that is, that so, yeah. is crazy so I decided. That.
1: but what, what was your skill set like at this point though Matt because I mean a lot of I've spoken to loads of chefs as have you and, and many of them it was a calling you know they, they saw something age 5 and picked up a knife age 6 and so on and so forth whereas you're flying yeah, I mean, planes you know you're not it, you're not going home was, creating well, incredible been, or whatever
0: I've always been sort of greedy I suppose we've always <laughs> had, we always had really nice family holidays we never had as much money we used to go away at the caravan Um, to to northern France uh, and eat really good French food. Great, you know, snails and fish soups and rouille and croutons and, you know, fantastic um, patisseries. Um, There was all sorts of food that you just couldn't get in, you know, the early 80s in the UK. So that kind of really woke up my sort of ideas and my senses. So it was always there. But then I kind of rediscovered it later. And I suppose, you know, going into a kitchen back in that time was a bit like joining up in some sort of military service because it was regimented. It could be brutal. It could be it was hugely demanding. Um, the hours were long. You know, it doesn't matter how knackered you were. You're still getting up the next day. Your feet are hurting. You're going into that kitchen. You're just going to plow on. So there was, a, there was a regimented kind of brutality to that system, um, which weirdly appealed, which would have been that sort of initial, you know, going to R.F. Cramwell and running around for however many weeks and end it was, and getting shouted at, it was a bit like that. So, and then at the end of it, you learned to cook this most amazing food, and there was this kind of the weird juxtaposition between that sort of harshness and what ended up on the plate, which appealed. So, so yeah, so that, I suppose that sort of took over.
1: I mean, that's a really interesting one. Cause you can't, you can't just rock up to one of these kitchens, which are delivering incredible things and Michelin stars and so on without, without being tooled with some, some basic skills. I mean, it's not like you can just show up and say, hello, can I, can I just wash the plates?
0: <laughs> well, you can in reality. And very often some people do. <clears throat> I mean, I, I did a, a year at some, a really good cookery course called uh, pre in in London, and I thought, well, if I come out of that, and I said I don't want, I've decided not to go into a kitchen, then at least I can cook. But then I suppose once you're on that treadmill, and I really enjoyed it. I loved the demands of the service. I loved the speed, and you know, your heads down, and you're you're sort of pushing out these plates. Um, I loved that. I fell in love with the service, of it. So so I asked. You know, my first job was a. Marco Pieroni's three mission style place in London, and I just phoned them up and I said I just want to look. I also want to cover to see what you're doing. I had very limited skills, but if you're happy to learn and you're happy to put in the hours and turn up and be nice, and people accept you, then they'll teach you. I mean, you know, if there's any sniff of you being a bit bolsy, oh, right, you're forgetting it, you're out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's no, there's no second chances in places like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's that old fashioned way which i think is still good today and i don't think enough sort of young kids do it is that knocking on a back door somewhere and going can i come in can i see what's going on i'll just stand here i'll work for free i'll make you tea i'll make you coffee and make yourself available but i think so many people now expect to give in a cv and they're going to phone them up and get a job and i don't i just don't think that shows the level of commitment that you could show
1: Yes, yes, the world doesn't owe everybody God,
0: a that got to be serious. No, it? it's, I liked it though, because it's true. The world, you know, the world doesn't owe everybody a
1: living and, and a lot of people do do sort of feel that they're entitled these days. I mean, Matt, is it true that when you, you sort of mentioned you worked for Marco Pierre White and you said you, you phoned them up and, and, and sort of blagged your way in as, as such, is it true, because yeah. I've heard it, it might be an urban myth, that, that that first phone call, you were actually speaking to Marco himself and hadn't realised? Yeah,
0: it, it was. It was... It was, it was, I still remember it to this day. I was, I was chatting to who I thought was a really, I mean, can I use the word arsey? Arsey French waiter? You've done it. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. So I was chatting to this guy for a while. I said, look, ultimately, I said, look, all I want to do is come into the kitchen. I want to stand in the corner. I want to see what goes on. I can do anything you want. I don't want to be paid. And I was getting really quite bullshit at this point. And the guy goes in a French accent. He goes, okay, come in tomorrow. And I said, right, fine. So when I turn up and Marco's there, and he looks at me and said, "Who the hell are you? Who do I say I spoke to?" Anyway, Marco pia white, put the phone down, <laughs> <laughs> and I, my heart sunk. I thought, "Oh my god, I've blown it already." And then I went in, <clears throat> and then I got, I, I, I saw him late that night. I got chatting. He offered me a job. Um, so yeah, so that that was it really. But it was it was that initial. Contact, I suppose, which makes makes the difference, and and you you should just need to look like you want to learn and you want to be there, and that makes all the difference to somebody. I mean, yes. so I've had restaurants since, and you know the number of people you get walking through your door, and they just don't look interested. And yeah. you know why? You know, why do I want to hang out with you for for 16, 18 hours a day if you don't look interested? There's a very famous London chef, um, fantastic chef, called Roly Lee. And he once famously said to me, "He said, um, he said he likes to employ people who are slightly mad um, because it just makes them the day go quicker."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm here for the madness. Yeah, it's, just, it's just much more fun, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I love
0: that. I mean, Matt, there's,
1: there's sort of two two clear things that that you have demonstrated across your life, and, and that's clearly got you to where you've got. One of them that's really standing out for me is. is confidence you know you don't just pick up the phone to marco pierre white's restaurant with with only a, a year of training under your belt to say i want to come and watch do it for free you've, you've got to have some confidence about you to do that
0: haven't you well it's, that is an interesting word because i don't think so i i don't think i'm particularly confident i've got more confident now um standing in front of tv i have to say i'm still not very good at giving speeches I was still not very good I'm I'm pretty awful to be honest I'm much better with autocue but I think it's um rather than confidence it was naivety I think it was you you have to have that little bit of bolshiness and naivety um and then you don't really realize what you're walking into until you're in it so I think that it's probably more along those lines I mean confidence I couldn't you know when at my wedding I couldn't give a stand up and give a speech I was terrified so, my wife had to stand up with me. And God knows what she thought she was marrying. <laughs> so, and I, you know, when we had the restaurant, I, I hated going out and walking through the restaurant to go and talk to a table. And people thought that was arrogant. And I really, you know, I was really sorry and really apologetic for it. But it wasn't. It was because I wasn't confident enough to walk past those people. Um, because you're not, as a, generally as chefs, you're hiding away in the background, in the kitchen. And you want to do your thing, you want to do it well. But you don't necessarily want the applause. Now, there's people who, you know, buck that trend. There's, you know, and it might sound weird if I'm them, you know, on TV dancing around and talking nonsense on a Saturday morning. I mean, that looks like confidence. It's just essentially you're just out having fun. You're chatting to people. Um, and when you look at a camera, you're talking, you know you're talking to, you know, millions of people. However, you're really talking to the camera guys um, around you and and the guests that you have on. Um, I mean, one of the biggest compliments was, I saw somebody on social media said, um, when I tune into Saturday Kitchen, it looks like the host is, um, is hosting a slightly, and I won't say the word, drunk party, and he's forgotten he's on TV, which I think <laughs> was, it was just perfect. So yeah, I mean, I can see how it comes across as confidence, but I think it was probably more to do with naivety.
1: Okay. Uh, there's nothing, I mean, they're, they're hand in glove sometimes, aren't they? Naivety and confidence are, yeah, are, yeah. are happy bedfellows. The other one that I've I've kind of been thinking whilst you were talking is you're an adrenaline seeker. You know, the RAF, because <laughs> it's all performance, you know, flying a plane, a fighter jet is a performance. You're, you know, it's it's terrifying and... and, and Absolutely adrenaline fueled, crazy performing in the kitchen like you have to. You know, like you say, you're you're grafting to have this end result. Going on telly in front of millions of people live, you're an adrenaline
0: junkie, aren't you? I get. I mean, I I, I do like doing those things that wake you up. Um, I mean, I was never ever going to be ending up on a you know at a desk because um, I just couldn't sit still for five minutes. So I was always looking for something. Um, kind of, I suppose, creative. If you look at those industries, I think it's quite creative. However, they're very, very different. I mean, the flying is very mathematical and it's rigid. The creativity comes in experience and being able to throw that plane around uh, and know what you're doing is second nature. I guess I, that's the same, I guess, when you're learning to cook and then ultimately, you know, when it becomes second nature, you can just freewheel. So adrenaline, yeah. I mean, I always, I I always like to do things wake me up and are quite scary i mean pff, dancing terrifies me i was about I to say
1: you'd make a good dancer because everything you talked uh, about is muscle memory with flight and, well, the, and the learning <laughs> learning with the, the, using the knives and so on you would probably be a shoe in i mean it...
0: <laughs> well, I, it's an interesting one i mean I, that terrifies the life out of me um unless i'm absolutely smashed at a wedding I'm I'm just, you know, I'm well away from the dance floor. But, yeah, I mean, you know, but again, you never say never because that might be the one thing that you go, this is brilliant. I remember talking, I was talking to a friend, Simon Rimmer, who did Strictly some time ago, and he said, if you ever get asked, just make sure you do it. It was the best thing I ever did.
1: Well, I was just about to do this to you, Matt.
0: <laughs> just, just in
1: please, case. Please
0: don't. That, <laughs> see, that just triggered me. <laughs> yeah i mean that oh god (laughs) now i mean i'm just cringing because i know how awful i would be but but you know again it's an adrenaline thing um i never say never yeah
1: (laughs) never say never except no Mm
0: for now <laughs> what, do they, <laughs> yes. what do they have
1: to do to get you on the dance floor Is it does it become oh, 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 oh. make me an offer I can't refuse kind of thing
0: well, well <laughs> no because I mean there's a queue of people around the block wanting to do that show so they, they'll look for people who are just like really into it really keen and excited and they don't want people like me who are going oh I'm not sure I'm not sure they want that commitment but um, yeah but you know I mean it's going back to the adrenaline thing I just think it's so important in life just to, to do things I mean they always say do things once a day that steps out your comfort zone whatever that might be however small that might be and that's just keep that's what life's about that's what keeps it lively I think yeah. you know if we are going through the same routine all the time it's you know and I know for, you know, a lot of people that's, that is impossible to step out of um, and I've been very fortunate to be offered lots of things to do that so, so, yeah, while they're being offered, I'm just going to take them. Too right. What? I had a fantastic experience wing walking oh. with, the, with the RAF Association um, a year ago or so, uh, when you're standing on the top of a biplane and they're spinning you around the air. Uh, and that is, if anyone ever out there gets a chance to do that, it is incredible. It's the most incredible adrenaline-fueled thing you can do. I See? Think.
1: Adrenaline seeker, I told you. Let's, there you go. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Kings of the Wild, because you, I mean, talk about out of your comfort zone. You spent, I mean, a long time, it was months, wasn't it, just hanging out in the jungle in Panama and, and a couple of other places as well, didn't it, you?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a real, that was one of those TV gigs that comes along once, maybe in a you know, career, and you have to grab that. And it was, a, it was about a six-month trip where I was kind of off to Mexico for six weeks, coming back, going off to Borneo, coming back, went to Panama, we went to the Arctic Circle. Um, I and mean, there was a very small crew, um, me and another guy, a, a lunatic Kiwi um, bushman called Josh James. And we just, we had a, the best adventure. Um, and you go to these places and you ordinarily you know Panama wasn't on my radar at all but you get there and it's just it's, it's such a privilege to go to these places around the world you know ultimately somebody's paying for you to be there and and experience what goes on and it was just it was brilliant I'm so pleased I did it I've got some great photos out of it great experience and there's lots of places you know in hilltop Mexican towns that I'd love to go back to now. take the family just to kind of revisit, we were, I went to the orangutan sanctuary in Borneo um, and the wetlands, the Kinabatangan wetlands. I mean, these are just places that, you know, are out of reach for for, for most people. So to be given that opportunity was such a privilege. You've just had to do it.
1: Well, I've read, again, I've done a little bit of this kind of background on you and I've I've read a couple of things that you've said and I'm basically going to ask you which was more frightening, if that's all right. You, yeah. Your experience with a lion and your experience with actual pirates, both of which were, you, you managed to just avoid, just avoid.
0: So there was, yeah. I mean, the pirate one was probably scarier. I mean, we were, it was, a. I think the lion, it was probably, it was, a, it was, a, it was in the Mexican jungle and I think it was some wild cat. I can't remember what it was, it was a Puma or something like that. And we were in these hammocks. Um, and suddenly there was this this roar, um, which wasn't that far away, and you think, What the hell is about to happen? And then there was a turkey kind of noise, and I think that was the end of it. So the turkey took the brunt of that one. Um but so that was one of those moments you just stop shooting. But then yeah, we were in we were in Borneo and we'd heard, we had an armed guard which were based um, not far away just in case of any trouble because we were left on our own. Um, and then we were told about these pirates uh, in the area. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, the ones with eye patches and parrots on their shoulder. I'm talking about the nasty ones with AK-47s yes. who were looking, looking for trouble. So, so yeah, we, again, we were in these hammocks and then there's boats just very silently crawled by one night Um, with these guys rowing and they had torches um and they were looking they were basically looking for us because they the trouble is when you're part of a discovery crew people think discovery they think money they think um kidnap they think ransom and all those kind of buzzwords that aren't great so that was that was pretty scary so we we told the um the crew the next day when we saw them and next thing you know, there's there's military helicopters going up. They're looking for these people because the week before they would kidnapped um, a diplomat's daughter out of a hotel room. So, yeah, so it was pretty, that was pretty scary. But it is also very exciting. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, want to rush back and put my family in that kind of arena. But when you're on your own, it's slightly different. Yeah. Because it becomes much more adrenaline fueled and risky than, well, than you know, just a regular gig, I suppose.
1: Like your like your five am drive to uh, to get emergency surgery.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: when it's just you, you're in control. I mean, there's there's that yeah, kind of military good. feel, kind of coming through as well. You kind of you, you've got these skills that I guess you must have picked up from your training and so on that that presumably keeps you calm in
0: these in these circumstances. Um about skill I mean you know I think it's just, you know, some people are, it's how you process it isn't it I mean it's um, I mean sometimes it, you know somebody will just flip out at, a, at a, an incident and other people will just be very calm and, and I think yeah, that's in you essentially but I mean, yes I mean there's there's people and there's places to go to that they can instill that in you but no I mean that wasn't through any form of training they, they put us in a plane they threw us around and it was great fun but there was no, um, there was no kind of you know mental kind of you know test to try and sort of calm you down, as it were. So I think I just get off on that kind of thing. I just quite enjoy it. So I kind of revel in it rather than um, shy away from it. I suppose. So
1: how would you do one that like an SAS Who dares wins kind of thing? Would you would you handle that? Because you're not you're obviously oh, not going to do the dancing show. We've established that.
0: But I mean that those those shows look incredible, and um, what those guys do as a day job is, you know, thank God they're on our side is all I can say. Um, And they, you know what they, they put themselves through and and put their bodies through and their minds. I mean, is just awesome. And to see how they train is incredible. Age 48. Could I do that? I doubt it very much. Um, You know, 10 years ago, I probably would have given it a crack um, just to see how far you get. But I mean, yeah, that is, that is a tough gig. Yeah. Absolutely tough gig. So hats off to anyone who cracks that one. <laughs> yes, it does. It
1: looks absolutely brutal. I, I, I mean, I struggle to watch it sometimes, so I can't even imagine what it'd be like being on it. Just just incredible. Um, Matt, I've got I've got a true or false one for you before I talk to you about um, vegans and vegetarians and so on, because I know you're, you're okay. doing a show about that right now. Um, because obviously, the, you know, when you read up on someone, there's, there's stuff that you find on, on various different platforms and, and you know, not just Wikipedia, but various other places. And you kind of go, is is that real? And I know that there are some celebrities, Dom Jolly being one of them, who has actually seeded fake information about himself so he can work out if his interviewer is, you know, has actually done their research or if they've just oh, gone to really? Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, God, it's just, that's a
0: bit it's, wow. it's good okay. fun. It's good fun. Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's one that I I hope it's true. I'm not sure if it is or not, though.
0: Go on then. I'll tell you.
1: In 2013 you hosted a cookery demonstration for the queen for her coronation celebration at Buckingham Palace. That is true. Did she get involved? It wasn't
0: it, it was, that's that's a very loose true. It wasn't <laughs> just for the queen. It was a, it was at Buckingham Palace for the it was the warrant holders association. So all the war, royal warrant holders were invited to the palace to kind of showcase um how they're involved in sort of royal life. So things like Tabasco, for example, are involved because the royal household likes Tabasco in their Bloody Mary. Uh, They probably like them on their exit or something like that. So so there was lots of, so I had to go along and I was doing some cooking demonstrations using those ingredients it wasn't just me and the queen So <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was why it
1: i'd envisage just the two of you standing no, there in her no. garden and you're like come uh, on love can you whip up those eggs for me you know <laughs> yeah no sad, sadly not sadly not but
0: so there, there is a grain of truth in that one <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put it down as a
1: sort of sort yeah, of yeah. yes you were there and so was she i mean did she how involved did she get presumably she just kind of watched
0: um we we did see her there um she i remember she arrived in the back of a range rover they uh, the boot went open um she walked in and all these guys rushed out the household and picked up all these bags um it was like a shopping trip basically <laughs> really i mean i'm not talking shopping bags i'm talking like posh you know high-end um shops but you might finally say Windsor. So, <coughs> so she was, yeah, she was there. It was more about inviting public into um, the gardens to kind of show them, uh, showcase these royal warrant holders not easy to say when you've got sort <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah,
1: she, she more sort of did a drive-by. Well, that's, I mean, that's yeah, okay. Much. That's Pretty okay. Much. I'll, tw- uh, I'll tweak the wiki page for you. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Um, and look, but, I mean, I, I, you know, we've had such a long chat. So I'm. I'm thank you so much for your time. Let, let's talk about the, the kind of go vegan, go vegan, because it, it is, you know, we talked earlier on about how English breakfast tastes are changing and so on. And, and of course it would be completely redundant of us to, to kind of ignore the fact that people are, Really, in in mass now, adapting new choices for how they approach food. There, there's a huge wave of of vegans now. Lots and lots of people are at least going part veggie. What have you been learning? What would you encourage? What have you chosen to do yourself?
0: Um, okay, so it's uh, this is really interesting for me because I was I've always been a sort of staunch carnivore, and and now over the years, I mean that's slightly evolving. I'm still, you know, carnivorous. Uh, I still enjoy foods. I'm much more selective about where it comes from. Uh, I won't eat meat for the sake of eating meat. I won't, you know, if, if there's a some bog standard chicken salad or something, I'll try to avoid it unless it's a particularly good chicken. And I know that sounds very really privileged, what have you, but it's just that it's also a choice because I know that the chickens that you know are on that plate have had a better upbringing and a better life. Than than the you know one that's flown in from Thailand. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so so I'm kind of steering away from the mass produced stuff. I eat a lot more vegetables now. Uh, I much very often go for veggie options uh, on restaurant menus because I feel better at night for it. I I just eat and sleep better. Um, so that's kind of changing. But also, I mean, when I, I did the vegan veg, vegetarian show on Channel 5, I was much more aware of what goes into vegan food. And for my mind, I don't understand why you go for the vegan options, um, like the, the fake meat and things like that. When it comes from a factory, it's been through enormous amounts of processing. I can't see why, you know, if you're coming from an eco sort of point of view, why that is going to be any better for the planet and for you than just eating vegetables that are maybe homegrown. I mean, that has to be the best thing uh, of those two sort of options. But there are some very good vegan products out there now. And I think it's going to be, it's going to grow and grow and grow. I mean, when we set up the restaurant, which was like 20 odd years ago now, um, vegetarianism wasn't really that big. It was starting to creep in over that time. But now it's it's absolutely part of the fabric of eating out. Many, many restaurants offer the whole vegan, uh, vegetarian menus. And I think vegan, veganism will be the same and probably in about another 10 years or something, it will be much more prevalent. Okay. But if you try and be a vegan in, in Europe, you're in trouble. I mean, you try and get vegetables in France, it's really difficult. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I am on that. Do you think we're going to get to a
1: point in a, in, a, you know, say 20 years or maybe 30 years' time, when people will be, sort of youngsters will be horrified that, that we old men ate meat?
0: It is an interesting one because, because they're now growing meat in labs, aren't they? Mm. Um, and I think, I think, I don't know, I, I have wondered whether it will be, you know, in 100 years' time, whether the thought of killing an animal to eat it will be abhorrent. And maybe that will be reserved for the kind of, you know, like the Kobe beef is now or the Wagyu beef is those kind of high end sort of diners. I don't know. You, You just don't know. I mean, you know, we just have to see where technology takes us. I think insects are going to play a much bigger part, whether that's in food that we feed chickens, for example, and then we eat the chicken or whether we are going to embrace insects. I mean, you know, a large proportion of the world already do. It's just us in the Western world who don't. So I think it will be very interesting to see where it goes. But I know lab-grown meat is very sort of controversial. Um, and then plus the fact, I mean, you look at farmers. I mean, I live in the country of Wales. And if we didn't have the farmers doing what they're doing now, we wouldn't have the countryside like yes. we do. Yes. Um, so, I mean, do we want to give up that? Just... We don't. We know. We we've reduced the amount of meat we're eating. I'm not sure. So sure, it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the yeah, there isn't. There
1: isn't really a right answer, is there? But you know, no. those, those that choose to make a decision to to eat things where an animal hasn't been killed, fair play to them. You know, good, yeah, good, good yeah, absolutely.
0: Them. And I'm, I'm I'm finding that more. You know, I love animals sometimes more than people. So I I find that really difficult myself. And I know. That sounds you know a massive contradiction, a massive hypocrite because I love animals and I yeah I eat them, but it, it's. It's. I think more and more people will suddenly go. Why? Why are we killing these these beautiful animals? Mm-hmm. Eat them? either. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Um. Matt. What a strange way to end, actually. But you know, <laughs> finishing on quite a deep topic. You know. Do you know any good fart gags? Um. But, but, but I really appreciate. I mean, if you do know any good fart gags, I'm always here for them. Incidentally. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm afraid I don't know, but I'll, I'll... I'll think text <laughs> t- me one
1: someday um, Matt look uh, thank you very much for your company I've, I've really enjoyed it it's been fascinating getting to know you and, and uh, I've really no, it's been yeah, really, really, really interesting
0: it. it's, a, it's uh, yeah it's interesting because you don't question yourself on these things and suddenly I've just realised I'm getting quite deep and it's almost a bit like a therapy session so yeah thanks very much <laughs> I'm always
1: here if you need an ear as they say <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt Would thank you, you. Yeah. That's that's been great fun and, uh, and I wish you every success I hope our paths cross again
0: absolutely no that's been great thanks for your time really appreciate it brilliant
1: take care thanks a lot bye bye
0: bye bye the Andy J podcast hold up